So as we've been talking about the Great Commission last Sunday, we, we talked about the word go. That's the very first word of the Great Commission, go. And, and we talked about the fact that that means that, that we are God's sent people, that we live in our communities as sent ones to uh, our places of work and study. And today we're going to talk about gospel. In other words, what is it that we do when we go? What is it that we take where we go? Well, we take the gospel. We take the good news. What is it that we're about? We're about the gospel. And in that sense, the gospel is both a noun and a verb. We, we gospel uh, as we go. And, and I've shared with you before that our vision here at Calvary is that Calvary would be a catalyst and, and we partner with a network of multiplying congregations that will result in 65,000 new disciples by the year 2020. That's our desire that 5% of the population of the Rio Grande Valley that doesn't know Jesus will come to his knowledge and they will be disciple makers. That's a crazy vision, but we believe that if God wants to do it, he'll do it. And we use something here at Calvary that we call simple path to multiplication. That's sort of the strategy that we use to move towards this vision. And, and this simple path to multiplication, there's a little graphic that you'll see here, and it begins with guide. That means we, we gather people, we gather believers who are interested in being Great Commission disciples, and we guide them in saying, this is how you do this. And then we say to them, go. Go to your place of work, go to your neighborhood, go to where God has placed you and pray for the people that are far away from God and, and live as a sent one. And then gospel, that's the third step in this path, gospel. In other words, share the good news of the gospel. And as you do, we believe that God already has people that he's wanting to bring to himself and they're just waiting to hear the good news. And you and I can't save people but God saves people and he chooses to save them through our sharing the good news with them. And so when we gospel, people will come to believe, not all of them, but some of them will come to believe and then they will begin to grow, to grow as disciples, to grow in relationship with him. And then as they grow, then we wanna gather them, gather them in a Bible fellowship, gather them in a house group, gather them in a house church, gather them in a huddle, gather them so that we can guide them so that they can go and they can gospel so they can grow and they can gather so that they can be guided and you get the point, right? It is a multiplication process that it's to repeat itself over and over again until we have the opportunity to share the gospel with all people. And today, we are focusing on this word gospel. If you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, I hope that today you will hear the gospel, you will understand that God loves you, and you will come to the point where you say, I want to be a believer. I want to be a disciple. I want to be a follower of Jesus. And I want to join this movement that is changing the world. Now, if you're a follower of Jesus already, then I hope that that you check yourself and you say, am I a part of this? Am I doing what God has called me to do? Am I a gospel sharing follower of Christ? If you're not, I hope that today you will come to the point where you commit to doing that. You see, uh, we have a text today that comes from 1 Peter 2.9 and always our texts during this series are complementing uh, the Great Commission text. They're helping us to expound on, on the Great Commission. And so we go to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. You can look it up in your Bibles. 
uh, or look on the screen and follow the reading. The Bible says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. What a wonderful passage. What, what a great word from God. Thank God for his word, amen. Uh, the apostle Peter is reminding first century believers of who they are and what their purpose is. They needed to embrace their identity. They needed to own the responsibility that comes from that identity. The gospel is our identity. It is who we are. And it is also our responsibility. The gospel reminds us that, that we are in a covenant relationship. You and I are in a covenant relationship with God, with the family of God. He's our father. We're his children. That's a beautiful thing. But we also have a kingdom responsibility. See, it's both and. It's not either or. We have a covenant relationship. That's our identity. And we have a kingdom responsibility. That's our, that's our responsibility, as we've said. And so let's look at this passage, and let's look at three things here uh, that the gospel says that we are. And the first thing that, that we find there, you can follow the notes in the back of your bulletin. The first thing that, that we find there is that we are chosen in Christ as his possession. The apostle Peter reminds his readers that they are a chosen people. And, and this is really important for them because they perhaps have understood that the chosen people are the Jews. In the Old Testament, God chose the Jews for a special purpose. But these people that are reading this letter are not necessarily Jews. They're not in Judea, they're not in Jerusalem. And they needed to know that they had become a people, that they had become God's nation. That God had formed for himself a new race of people and it is people of faith. And that because of their new birth in Christ, now they had DNA that made them the chosen people, the chosen race of God. The original recipients of this letter needed to hear this. They lived far away from Jerusalem. They had really no contact with, with the Jerusalem worship or with the temple. In fact, they were surrounded by temples where other gods were worshiped. They lived in a pagan world. And sometimes they were probably trying to figure out, what am I doing here? Who am I? And, and, and what am I supposed to be about? And Peter reminds them of who they are. It's important to know who you are. Do you know who you are? Do you know your identity? So Peter reminds these readers. In fact, when he opens the letter, when he begins the letter, when he's dedicating it, he's, he's saying, look, I'm writing to you. He tells them who they are. First Peter chapter 1, verse 1. He starts the letter like this. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect. Ah, what a way to start. To God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been, what? Chosen, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood, Grace and peace be yours in abundance. The apostle Peter is telling the believers in, uh, in the first century, as you are aliens in a foreign land, as you are exiled, remember, you have an identity. You have an identity. You're no, 
you're not lesser than the people around you who own the land and who, who, uh, who are the majority. You might be the minority, but listen, you are a chosen people. You are God's elect. God chose you before you chose him. You have a new identity. It's good to know that we're chosen. Yeah, I don't know about you, but uh, when I was growing up in school, they had the schoolyard picks. I don't know what you thought about schoolyard picks, but I hated schoolyard picks because I wasn't good at sports. I liked sports, but sports didn't like me. And so when there were schoolyard picks uh, and, and there were two team captains picking team members, they would pick a guy from over here and a guy from over here and they pick a girl from over here and a girl from over there. And I was there and I, sometimes I was the last one. It's like no one wanted me in their team. That's how bad I was. And I said, man, when is this gonna change? Am I either gonna get better at sports or, or people are gonna make a mistake and pick me first, you know? Uh, it's pretty disappointing when you don't get chosen, but you know what? The Bible says that the God of the universe has chosen you. He chose you. He chose me to be on his team. Not for a little game in PE or in the gym, but for a great redemptive plan that changes the course of the universe. God chose you and me. How does he choose us? He chooses us in Christ. There was, there was a temple in Jerusalem and it, it, it was the identity of the Jewish people. It, it, it was their pride and joy. It was probably more important to them than their flag, if they had a flag back then. The temple was that symbol. And for the pagans, they had temples that said, this is who we are. This is the God of our region. This is who we worship. This is who we are as a people. But when God looked at these recipients of this letter, he said, no, 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 I wanna build myself a spiritual temple. Look at what 1 Peter chapter two, verses four through six say. This is where we find that, that we're chosen in Christ. It says, as you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in scripture it says, see, I lay in stone, a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Bible says that God chose Christ to be the cornerstone of a spiritual temple. And that whoever believes in him, whoever is not tripped up by him, will be a living stone, will be part of the chosen ones, part of the spiritual temple that God is building for himself. He chose a spiritual temple, not a physical temple, to dwell in, and we are the living stones that are part of that. Some people find their identity in their ethnicity. They're, they're happy that they're Latinos or that they're Asian or that they're German or Italian or that they're Native Americans or whatever they are, African. Uh, and that's great. It's great to, to, to value your pride and your heritage. Some people are, find their identity uh, perhaps in, in their country's flag, whether it's the U.S. or Mexico or Colombia or, or Kenya or Germany or whatever the flag is. They, they find their identity in being of that nation. But isn't it interesting that in the Bible, 
The chosen people of God are not an ethnic group. The chosen people of God are not a geopolitical nation. The chosen people of God are those who have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. The chosen people of God is the church. It's the people that Jesus has redeemed. That's our identity. If you're a Christ follower, remember that God chose you before you chose him. God knew your name before you had a name. God was loving you before you knew what love was. So when you came to faith, when you said yes to Jesus, all you were doing was closing the deal that he started long ago. God has been pursuing you for a long time. And if you're not a follower of Christ yet, I want you to know God's been searching for you. God's been pursuing you. God wants you to come to him. He chose you already. You just need to choose him back. If you're trying to find your identity in the things that you do, if you're trying to find your identity in, the, in your profession, if you're trying to find your identity in the things that you have, you know that you're coming back empty because your identity can only be found in Jesus Christ. Secondly, the scripture tells us here that the gospel means that we're called into a community of priests. We're a chosen nation, a spiritual temple, but also a royal priesthood. In the Old Testament, priests were go-between. The priest represented the people to God. He offered sacrifices. And then he represented God to the people. He taught the law of God. He was a go-between. But now that Christ has come, now that Christ has died on the cross, he's offered the ultimate and perfect sacrifice all of the sacrifices in the Jewish temple were pointing to Christ. It's already, it's already reached the climax. It's the last one. It's the ultimate. He is the perfect sacrifice. And not only is he the perfect sacrifice, he is the high priest. Above all high priests, he's better than any other priest. And the curtain of the temple when he died on that Friday was opened in two. And the Holy of Holies, where only the high priest could go once a year, was opened so that we could access the Holy of Holies because of Jesus Christ. Friends, when Jesus came, he did away with the priesthood. We don't need a priest anymore to go to God. If you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you don't need a go-between, you don't need a mediator. You can go straight to him and experience the Holy Spirit and, and know his word. In fact, not only do you not need a priest, but you are a priest. That's what it says here. You say, well, if we don't need priests, then why did God make me a priest? Well, believers don't need priests because we are priests. But the unbelieving world, they need a priest. They need somebody to connect them to God, and that's where you and I come in. The church is the royal priesthood of God. It means that as a body of believers, we represent God to a, to a world that is broken, and we intercede for them. You are not just somebody that goes to church. You're not just a church member. You are a priest. You're the only Bible that some people will ever read. You're the only church that some people will ever attend. You are the hands and the feet of Jesus. I was heard about a senior adult lady who was um, looking for a parking spot in a shopping center and and he want, she wanted a parking spot that was close to the store. She didn't have to walk so far. She'd been driving around waiting. And finally, a parking spot came open. And uh, she slowly moved her big old Cadillac 
to just kind of go into the parking space and in comes in this sporty car, real small car, and just swerves in and gets the space and gets right in front of her. And she can't believe her eyes that he would do that. And, and uh, he gets out, slams the door, and he starts walking into the store. And she rolls down her window. She goes, why did you do that? And he said, because I'm young and fast. She said, okay. And so she put it on reverse. And then she put it on drive and she slammed the car. And then she put it on reverse again and put it on drive and stepped on the gas and slammed the car so hard he jumped the curb and hit a pole. And the car was getting bent out of shape and broken. She did that three or four times and the guy turned around and, and, and was trying to figure out what was happening. And he goes to her and says, why did you do that? She goes, because I'm old and rich. <laughs> See, I don't know. I don't know what your identity is, if you're young or old, if you're rich or poor, if you're slow or fast, but you have to remember that our identity means that we represent. We represent God to the world, even when people make you mad in the parking lot. Thank you, somebody relates to that. <laughs> Last week we looked at Jesus for, for, when he did his prayer for his disciples, and he asked that, that, uh, that the Father would sanctify them. And you know, we're saints in the making, but we're not sanctified so that we would be put in some kind of a shrine that people will light a candle to us someday. That's not what it means for us to become saints. We're saints, we're sanctified so that we can be sent. Jesus said, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. You see, I think it's important that we, that we keep these two concepts, the royal priesthood and the holy nation, we need to keep these concepts together so that we can keep a balance because there are those groups out there that, that are so committed to holiness, they're so committed to sanctification that they build, uh, they, they isolate themselves from the work completely. They build themselves convents and monasteries and compounds and entire communities so that they don't have to interact with the world. They, they are so committed to holiness at the expense of making a difference in the world. And then you have, on the other side, you have those people who are so committed to be relevant, they are, they are trying to connect with a broken world. They, they're, they're, so, uh, they're so obsessed with, with making sense to the world that they've, they've become so cool like them and in the process they've adopted their values and their ways and now there is no significance. I think of those people like a cascaron. I don't know if you know what a cascaron is, but it's uh, around Easter time, people here in the valley have these empty eggshells and they fill them with confetti and, and they go around and they just crack them on each other's head. You know, they're, they're good looking eggshells, they're colorful uh, and they look uh, very nice, but there's no substance inside. And sometimes people have, have become so committed to being attractive and being relevant and then there's no gospel to share anymore. There's nothing different. And, and so it's important that we understand what it means to be both a holy priesthood, a, a royal priesthood and a holy nation so that we can make a difference in the world. Jesus wants to sanctify us in order to send us. We're called to be a holy community of priests who are accessible to the world. How do you do that? How do you do that? Well, thank God for Jesus. 
He gave us the example, didn't he? When Jesus came to the world, you had these people who were so obsessed with being holy, they were called the Pharisees, that they were obeying God and everything, and they cut themselves off so they wouldn't be defiled uh, by sin. And then on the other side, you had the sinners, the prostitutes, and the tax collectors, and the people who could never hope to ever enter the temple because they were so sinful. And so when Jesus comes, what group does he join? Does he join the saints, or does he join the sinners? Well, neither one really. He kind of he really walks in between those. He came and he t- takes on a culture uh, that, that is particular. You know, Jesus didn't come speaking some kind of heavenly language that nobody could understand. He spoke the language of the people. He wore the clothes of the people. I'm thinking his tunics were Levi's and his sandals were Nike. You know, he wore what the people were and he ate what they ate and, and he hung out with them. He wasn't at the temple all day long. He loved to be at the temple, but he wasn't there all day long. He, he was among the people. He, in fact, he liked to go to parties. He was alive for the party. One time he turned water into wine, believe it or not. But he remained sinless. He was in the world. He interacted with the broken world but he remained so connected to the Father that his life was holy. And that's what he calls us to do, to live holy lives that represent the Father. See, when when people looked at Jesus, they didn't see that Jesus was trying to become like them. They saw that they wanted to become like Jesus. He had something they didn't have, and that's what he calls us to do. He was without sin. We are a community of priests. You're a priest to your family. You're a priest to your workplace. You're a priest to your school. You're a priest to your neighborhood. You're a priest to your Bible fellowship. You're a priest to your home group, to your huddle. So live that out. There's a a, a brother uh, here in the church who has a lot of friends that he likes to hang out. They're hunting buddies of his, and and I've gotten to know them and hang out with them. And and after about three minutes of hanging out with them, you know they're not Christ followers. You just know right away. It's, It's obvious. And they call me Padre because you know, I'm a pastor and they have a different religious background and so the only thing they know to call me is Padre and, and I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that because I understand that I'm a priest to them in the sense that I get to represent God to them until they come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ and they become Padres. Not compadres, but Padres. <laughs> Maybe compadres too. The third thing that the Bible tells us is that we're compelled to communicate his praises We're compelled to brag. Folks, we have a great gospel. We have good news. How many of you know that every time you look at the internet or turn on the radio or turn on TV, how many of you know there's bad news? But we have good news. We have a great message. God called us out of darkness into his wonderful light so that we can tell the story God didn't pull you out of the darkness into his wonderful light so you can keep it to yourself. He, he did that so that you can declare his praises to the world. Every follower of Jesus can share the gospel. If you're a follower of Jesus, you, can, you have a story to tell. In fact, let me tell you, you are the ultimate authority on your own story. Nobody knows better than you what God has done in your life. So you need not be shy You need not be timid. You know what God did in your life and you can tell. You can share it. 
There are two things that would be great for you to have as a disciple maker. One is know how to tell your personal story, and the other one is know a simple way to share the gospel. You, you can tell your story in a minute or two. I can tell my story in a minute or two. I can tell you that I grew up in a Christian home where my parents loved me, where I knew uh, of God and of what Jesus did for me, and, and that sounded good to me, but as I grew up, I quickly learned that I had behavioral problems, and uh, I began to have a sense of insecurity, even though my parents loved me, I began to feel insecure about myself, and I started looking for acceptance and for approval, and sometimes I was doing it the wrong way with the wrong people. And I came to the point where I, where I became frustrated and I was broken, and I knew that God loved me, and so I told God, I know I'm a sinner, and and I know I've made some bad decisions, and I know I've broken my parents' heart, and I've broken a lot of people's heart, and I know I've made some principles mad, and, and I've done some bad things, and I need you to, to forgive me, and I understand that I can't take charge of my own life. I want you to be in charge from now on. I want you not just to forgive my sins, but I want you to be my Lord, and I pray that prayer with tears in my eyes because I was so broken and devastated, and God heard my prayer. And he forgave my sins and instantly I knew that God was at work in my life. Everything changed, my outlook changed. And that approval and that acceptance that I was searching for, I had it. Because God already approved of me and accepted me in Jesus. And I don't have to search for that anymore because I have it in him. That's my story. What's yours? What's your story? Do you have a story? If you do, you get to tell it. And then you can also learn how to share the gospel if you have a napkin and a pen at Starbucks or at a restaurant, then you, you can learn how to draw three circles. You can learn how to tell the story of what Jesus has done for a broken world. Let me, let me share one with you. As the video plays, you know, we live in a world of brokenness. You don't have to go very far to see pain and suffering and disappointment. We live in a world of brokenness, but that's not the way that God meant it. From the very beginning, God had a perfect design. He planned something different for us to, to live in peace and in harmony. But the way we got to brokenness is we sin. Now sin means turning your back on God's design and doing your own thing, and it leads to brokenness. It leads to separation from God, and it leads to eternal damnation. But when God knew that, that we had chosen sin, he came up with a different plan. He sent Jesus. Jesus came and, and he came to live among us and he became like us but without sin. And then he went to the cross and in the cross he died for our sins and he paid the price of our sins. But he didn't stay dead, he rose from the dead. And there's a way to get from brokenness to God's design. People think that getting out of brokenness is by doing good deeds or by being religious or, or, or by trying to follow certain rules, but none of those things really work. All those things leave us still broken. The way to get to Jesus is to turn from our own ways and our sin and to believe that what he did is enough for us. And when we do that, we can grow in our relationship towards God's design. And as we grow in that relationship, not only can we grow, but we can go. We go to the broken world like Jesus, and we let them know that God has a plan to redeem them and to restore them. Everybody is in either one of these two circles. You either are pursuing God's perfect design or you're living in brokenness. Where do you find yourself today?
Where do you find yourself today? Are you pursuing God's design? Or are you living in brokenness? And what is it that you want? Where do you want to be? Did you see how that took me two minutes to share with you? Just a napkin and a pen. And you can share that with somebody. Three circles. You can declare his praises by sharing with people what he's done for you and what he's done for a broken world. I've asked two guys to help me finish the sermon. They're not preachers. They're everyday people, but they understand what it means to gospel. So it's a little lengthy, but it's worth you listening to their message. They're going to finish the sermon here. Their names are Chris and Jeff. Hey, my name is Jeff. I, I became a follower of Jesus when I was 14 years old, and uh, me and my family have been working with Calvary since 2016 when we moved back to the valley. Hi, my name is Chris. Um, I was first saved and baptized at age eight here at Calvary, and I've been coming here since I was in the first grade up until I graduated high school, then I moved to Austin, uh, and so now I go to church up there, but for the summers when I'm back home, I still come to Calvary, and it's my home church holds a very special place in my heart. Yeah, the, the ways that my wife and I are able to interact with people who are far from God is through uh, work. We meet people every day, customers and people out there in the field. Also in our neighborhood, we are getting to know our neighbors, and uh, also from hobbies like competitive rifle shooting, different stuff like that. We get to rub shoulders with people who may never have really had someone talk to them about who Jesus is. I usually try to meet people and, and uh, tell them my story about where I'm from. I try to ask them first about their life and then I share with them my story about how I grew up here in the valley and how I came to know Jesus and ask them questions to see if they're spiritually hungry people. I'm just looking for people that are already looking for, for Jesus that the Holy Spirit has already prepared their hearts. I'm not looking to convince anyone to follow Jesus. I'm looking for people that the Holy Spirit has already prepared that are out there, they're hungry for Jesus. So I currently go to the University of Texas and, and uh, there are lots of people there who don't know Jesus. You know, each of us are called to be uh, ministers, right? Uh, the Bible says we're each uh, ministers of reconciliation. And so, you know, we, throughout my, uh, daily life up there, you know, it's always, um, I see people who don't know Jesus, and it's just an opportunity to go and love them and to share the gospel with them uh, in different ways, right? It can be through action, uh, but also specifically verbally, you have to share. You know, that's one of the many reasons that he's placed me there, uh, because, you know, he has shown his grace and love to me, and, and he wants to make me um, his minister there to people who don't know him. And so up there, I'm, I'm part of a group called the BSM, uh, it's also called the Baptist Student Ministry. And so up there, I'm, I'm a part of the international ministry team. And so we uh, devote a lot of our time having ministry meetings and just uh, praying for our international friends up in Austin. And we are always very intentional in trying to share the gospel with them, you know, verbally, but also through our action and through our lives. And so, you know, I think that's, that's really important just to, um, you know, be good stewards of the relationships that God has given you because, you know, we are, we are held accountable to that. Um, but, you know, it can be a, a daunting thing to be having to share your faith with people, but um, it's also what we were made to do, um, you know, just share the joy that the Lord has given us in our relationship with Him.
when I when I look at Jesus' life and, and the love that he showed for the Father and the love he showed for all of, of, of us, I feel drawn by Christ's love for me to uh, pass on what Christ has given to me. And I think it's important because um, I see, I walk around the valley and I see people who I can see in their eyes that they don't know who God is. And maybe they've never had a father or mother who loved them. And I recognize that the hope for my people is to know Christ and that Christ came to put the broken world back together. And so when I go out there and take to talk to people about Jesus, I, um, I feel like I'm not doing it because I have to necessarily, but because I'm compelled by God's love for me to share that with others. So I, I believe that definitely sharing my faith with others strengthens my relationship with Christ because I think that one of the ways that we show our love for Christ is in the way that we obey him and the way that we live, right? And so I think that abiding, right, is very important. You have to fill up with the Lord so that you can pour out. And so I think that uh, there's a strengthening there because in sharing your faith, you have to rely on God, right? You can't just uh, go out there and expect to change people's hearts on your own because we have no power to do that. Um, the Holy Spirit is the one who changes hearts, and so we must rely on God, um, and and He's just in control of that. And so when He uses us uh, as as His vessels to share the gospel with others, it strengthens our relationship because one, it makes us depend on Him more, and two, when we see fruit, we just see how real God is and that He's moving. Um, and not only that, but in our obedience, it's also a way to show um, our love for God. Yeah, you know, I feel like. Um... You know, when Jesus, in Matthew 24, 14, he said, this good news of the kingdom of God will be proclaimed throughout the world as a testimony to all nations. And we see that the early disciples really sprinted after Jesus rose from the dead and sent them out. And they really thought that in their lifetimes, they were gonna finish the task that Jesus promised that all nations would hear about him. And 2,000 years have passed since then. And, and we're now at a point where I start to wonder, like, maybe finishing Jesus' mission is within the grasp of my generation. And there's about 6,000-something um, unreached or barely reached people groups around the world. And I recognize that me having the moral courage to take the awkward step of sharing Jesus with with people next to me is, that's the first step in, in reaching the nations. And, and my dream is that when I'm old and when I look back on my life and and all of us here together look back on our lives, that we'd be able to say, you know, we reached our people, um, McAllen, the Valley, Northern Mexico, with the new good news about Jesus. And also that there would be people that stand before Jesus in the future that say, you know, people from McAllen, people from Reynosa, they came to my village, they talked to me about Jesus. That's my dream is, is that uh, maybe we could be the generation that finishes the task and it starts with us sharing with the people that are closest with us and it ends in the, in the nations. Yeah. Two everyday people who get what it means to gospel. We're going to pray, and I'm going to ask you to think about responding to God's word in one of the following three ways. If you've never have trusted in Jesus, 
Maybe today you need to receive the good news of the gospel for forgiveness, for eternal life, and to join God's people. Maybe that's what you need to do. You pray where you are, and then you can come to us after the service, and we'll help you with that. Or to, if you're already a believer, perhaps what you need to do today is to commit to sharing the gospel with others. You need to ask God to help you with that. And the third way I'm going to ask you to respond is to prepare your heart for the Lord's Supper. We're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper in a moment, and you may have a sin to confess. It is in the Lord's Supper that we remember the sacrifice that it took for us to be redeemed as broken people and as a broken world. Would you bow your head for a moment? Bow your head for a moment. And as you think about how God has spoken to you, respond in faith. Whether it's praying to trust Jesus as your Savior and Lord, or praying to commit to share the gospel, or confessing a sin, preparing your heart for the Lord's Supper.